If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 18. If you're a guest with us today, thank you for being our guest. Uh, we don't uh, think it's a, um, a light thing that you are coming here today to worship the King with us. So I want to say thank you. And if uh, you got any questions while you're here, please stop by the Welcome Center and um, ask whatever you would like. Well, about the church. I mean, I don't know if you can ask whatever you'd like, but about the church, and we would we'd try to answer that any, uh, the best way that we can. Uh, you also see on the Welcome Center we have Easter signs and announcements here after the service. You'll hear more about them, and uh, I want to encourage you to do that. It's one way that we can get the message out uh, to our community about what's going to happen on Easter Sunday, and we're going to preach the gospel, uh, just singing about Christ dying in our place, and uh, the world's got to hear that. Your neighbors are part of the world, and so they're driving by your house. They see that sign. They may just come and visit our church and hear about Christ and what he did for them. And so um, donation was made uh, to make them super affordable. And, uh, and if, you just, if you say, man, I, we're, just, we're strapped, we have nothing, uh, we can't do it, then let us know. We, we want you to be a part of, of help, helping get the word out. So um, it's, a, it's a blessing to be able to do that. So. Um, last week in our study, we, we saw two points, and I think it's such a vital thing. If you weren't here, please go back and watch it on our YouTube, because uh, I had some, some people uh, share some stuff, even people watching online asked or shared some things um, about that, that trials are uh, a real thing, and it's, and it's a good reminder to have these, uh, it's a good thing to have these reminders in our life uh, whenever we're going through them. Somebody like the Apostle Paul who was faithful to the Lord, who was obedient to the mission, uh, who was living his life, what we would consider in the right way, uh, was going through some trials, it was obvious. And the first point we saw last week was that fiery trials are intended to increase our humility and also our dependence on Christ. And that's, that's something that we, I think, lose sight of. In the middle of the trial, we're in the middle of the trial, we want it to be over, right? I, I think pretty much all of us are like that. I don't know that any of us who have ever gone through a trial uh, I got a, a message, uh, matter of fact, and you can be praying for our missionaries in the Congo, uh, Christian and Shauna. They're, they're dealing with some illnesses, and they've been on some medicine, and it's not really uh, fixing it right now, and so they're still in the middle of it. And Brother Christian mes messaged me this morning and said, I guess it's just a valley uh, season or something like that, and uh, so be praying for them. But I don't know anybody in the middle of a trial or in the middle of a, a, a test that is like, oh, great, I love this. This is a wonderful time. I know this is, this is enjoyable, and nobody likes that, but we know they're intended for our good and for God's glory. The second point was fear and feebleness should never negate our obedience to Christ because He is always with us. And again, there's, there's going to be seasons where uh, we may feel a little anxious, which we shouldn't be anxious for anything the Bible says, but we should have ev approach everything with prayer and, 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 and let our requests be made known to God with thanksgiving in our heart. Um, and then there's going to be seasons where we feel weak. We're going to feel feeble. We're going to feel uh, like we just don't have the spiritual strength or gumption to, to go. But even though we feel those things, whether it's fear, anxiety, or weakness, or feebleness, whatever you want to call it, those things never negate the obedience that we're called to walk in uh, to the Lord. And so, again, we talked about our emotions a little bit last week. Again, I want to really, really, really encourage you. We're not supposed to walk around like, some emotionless people like we have no no feelings we have no emotions we're just robots for the lord you know it's not, it's not like that um, but we aren't we're not to allow our emotions to to dictate our our attitude and our our speech and the decisions we make 
But too often, that's what happens even as Christians. I mean, think about it in your marriage. Think about it in your home. Think about it as in, in any aspect, your job. So many times where we get, get off, where we get wrong, where we get off track is, is when we start getting emotional, whether we're frustrated, irritated, mad, upset, or, or even we can make foolish decisions or we can get off track even when we're excited about things. We can make a, a, a foolish financial decision when we're excited about something and then later be like, oh no, what did we do? You know? um, so it's, it's so important for us to make sure we're, we're, we're having our emotions in check um, with all that. And if you remember last week, the reason we talked about this was the Lord spoke to Paul by night or at night by a vision uh, to comfort him. It was, it was evident that Paul had been going through the ringer and, and was dealing with stuff, some stuff in his life so much so that God visited him and gave him this comforting vision. And um, it, it's something that we know he would continue to go through. We're going to see that in the study as we go along. But there were some things that he was feeling. Again, I want us to understand that. It's natural, natural for us to have feelings. It's natural for us whenever we are facing some health or financial or, or, or relational or, or whatever, some, some difficulty or some struggles or we don't even know what it's going to look like. There's going to be emotions and it's okay, but that's, that's what we have to understand. Those things can't negate the mission of God. Well, we're just trying to deal with some things right now. We'll be back to church later. No, no, you know, and, and, and it's not just about church, but what, it, what ends up happening too is even in our, our personal study life with the Lord, you know, our personal walk with God, sometimes we start going through stuff and, and, and it'll click later. Oh, I haven't been reading my Bible. Maybe, maybe that's one of the reasons why I'm having such a hard time through this trial. I'm not walking with the Lord through it. Because we know that we're going to go through trials. But those trials do something only trials can do. And I want you to hear that. I want you to write that down. Whatever you have to do. We go through trials. And trials do what only trials can do. All of our lives are going to be used and useful to the king. And the only way that they are going to be that way is if we are faithful through those trials. And so we, we find ourselves coming up to this third missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. And uh, we're going to kind of see what happens right before that in chapter 18, verse 18. It says, Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila. In Centuria, he had his hair cut for he was keeping a vow. They came to Ephesus, and he left them there, Aquila and Priscilla. Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent. Now remember the previous city was asked to stay, and, 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 and God gave him the comfort that he needed, and, and uh, he ends up staying for a year and a half. Here, they move on to this city, and they're, they're asking him, please stay, please stay. And he doesn't consent. When they asked him to stay for a long time, didn't consent, but taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again if God wills. He set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. So a lot of, a lot of stuff here. I mean, there's so many important things that we can kind of work our way backwards um, he, he, he goes to, to Jerusalem, which when it says he went up and greeted the church, he went up to Jerusalem is what the Bible's talking about. He went up to Jerusalem to greet the church there. 
uh, that was also part of him kind of uh, presenting himself to the Lord specifically at the temple after this vow was consummated. Um, he evidently took a vow, which um, this was something that they would do uh, in, in this culture that where he, they would grow their hair out. It would be a season of the Nazarite vow. Some, some uh, you know, took the Nazarite vow for life, somebody like Samson. Um, there, there were those who did that. They would also do this for seasons for different reasons. And it's believed that it was for this, this trying time that Paul was going through. And when the God kind of delivered him, brought him out of that, he shaves his head, heads back home, lands in Caesarea there on the Mediterranean Sea, heads to the church in Jerusalem, presents himself at the temple, and then he goes back to his home church there in, in Antioch. But we were introduced to this, we kind of work our way back to where he left Aquila and Priscilla there in Ephesus. And we were introduced to this couple um, in Rome, or who was from Rome there in, in Corinth. And I mentioned that we would talk about them a little bit more later, and this is later. And so this is going to get a little bit about this couple and uh, try to find out who they were and why it was so important that God saw fit to include this couple in the missionary journey. you got to know that Paul was connected and he, and, he, and he met so many different people and so many different probably couples along the way. I mean, he had traveled all over the region. There were churches that had been started. There were people that he had led to the Lord. There were tons and tons and tons of people that the Apostle Paul came in contact with. So why was it so important that God preserved the names of the, this couple, Aquila and Priscilla, for us even to learn from 2,000 years later? So I'm going to look into that a little bit this morning. But look at th this fact right here. They, they were with Paul as he traveled, as he was headed back home. And then they stayed in Ephesus when Paul told them to stay there. Now Paul wasn't God. Paul was the, the leader that God had appointed. Paul was the, uh, the, the one who um, was, you know, you could say in charge on this mission, if you will. The Holy Spirit was in charge. But Paul was the leader, the human leader that he had uh, installed. And here's this couple. They're, they're with him. They had been kicked out of their home in Rome. And obviously for them, life was considerably different. So they're there in Corinth. Paul the apostle comes along and he the Bible says, we saw last week, joins, them, joins himself with them. And he stayed with them because they were of the same profession. They were tent makers, right? So they were there already. They'd been kicked out of, out of Rome, making tents there in Corinth. Paul comes along. He joins himself with them. And, and some people are like, well, who does Paul think he is? Just, just as some great leader marching in and barking out orders and you follow me now, I'm the apostle. I mean, again, some people have a skewed view of, of leadership and a skewed view of, of what God was doing in all of this. But Paul is the one that comes and joins himself with them. And then the Bible says that they go with him. We're going to dig into what this first point is, but I want to give you the first point and then we'll dig into it because this, this couple is, is vital to the ministry uh, there in Asia Minor and vital to the Apostle Paul. Point number one is this. Be a faithful friend and a, and a fellow laborer. And that's based off of this couple. That's based off of who they were in the ministry and specifically for the Apostle Paul and the, the missionary journey that was happening now and that was about to happen on, this, on, on the third leg. And again, the reason why we point this out, why it's so vital, why it's pertinent to our study, is this husband and wife team were to become Paul's closest friends 
who even risked their lives for him. So how, how did you get that out of that? <laughs> I didn't read any of that in Acts chapter 18. Well, we look at the letter that he writes to Rome. In Romans chapter 16, he says this, Greet Prissa and Aquila, or Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risk their own necks. To whom not only do I give thanks, but also, listen to these words, all the churches of the Gentiles. That, that's, a, that's a lot of fidelity. That's a lot of faithfulness. That's a lot of laboring. That's a lot of testimony. That's a, that's a, that's a great encouragement. The fact that this couple, risked, for, for Paul's life, risked their own necks. And, and not only was it for that, but it, it, it was for all that they had done that all of the churches of the Gentiles were grateful for this couple. Again, we, we, we kind of come along and say, why is it so important that this couple was included? You know, the fi- the, the, there's five other times that they're mentioned in Scripture. And of those five times, Priscilla is listed first. And I said, well, that's interesting. Because here in, in Romans, chapter, Romans chapter 16, it says Greek Priscilla and Aquila. Well, Aquila was the man. Why, why was it like that? It's, it's believed that she probably had a higher social rank than Aquila, and maybe she was more prominent of the two, even inside the church, because of of the culture that they lived in. But the reality is, is that this couple was impactful and helpful in the missionary journey. They they, they quite possibly were Christians when Paul came along and met them in in Corinth, um, because there was a a church that existed there in Rome. Romans chapter 1 tells us this. It says, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, Grace to you and peace from God our Father to the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Again, Paul writing to the church there in Rome and um, again, an established group of believers. But it's also important to note that they could accompany Paul. Um, It meant this. It meant that there was sufficient leadership in Corinth that they left with him. Again, they, they, they meet there in Corinth, they leave Corinth, they go to Ephesus. And the fact that they were already Christians, they were already established, they were tent-making, they were influential there in Corinth already. And the fact that they could leave that church in Corinth and go with the Apostle Paul as he is heading back, and they don't even know that they were going to stay in Ephesus, we don't understand that. But we understand there was enough leadership, or there was supposed sufficient leadership there in Corinth that they could leave. Men such as Gaius and Sosthenes, Stephanus, and Crispus. We know that Sosthenes was uh, so because of a couple of things. We know that he was beaten. We saw this last week. The Greeks had reasons for being hostile against this, this guy, Sosthenes. They were probably venting in this general hostility towards Jews on him. Maybe they were angry because they had this unsuccessful attempt, um, as he was supposed to be the leader of the Jews there in the synagogue, to prosecute Paul in his case. Nevertheless, this guy ends up getting converted and is there in Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, Paul called an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. This couple leaves Corinth, leaves this city, leaves this influential church, which again, 
We're going to dig in a little bit more into the Corinthian church in just a second. But they, they leave this city, they leave this church, they leave this new place that they had, had already established themselves again to go with Paul. They were faithful friends and they were faithful fellow workers to whom Paul could entrust to have left their home and then stay there in Ephesus until he comes back. Uh, some of you may not understand how important this is, but for, for pastors who, who, who love the, the church that God has put them, you know, entrusted them with, it's, it's a very, very, very careful thing to entrust somebody else with leadership. It, it, it's not something that we, we uh, find as, as an easy thing to do, to uh, entrust something to someone else unless there is an absolute confidence that that person is going to lead with Christ at the center. Unless that person is going to lead with faithfulness and with, 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 with passion for the Lord and for the gospel and for his mission. Again, there, 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 there's a lot of, uh, of concerns that leaders, that pastors have in this area. And so the fact that Paul could entrust this couple to stay in this area of, of Ephesus said a whole lot. And this is vital that, that they stay there. The reason why is because Ephesus was, was the most major city in, uh, in Asia Minor. So they would establish themselves for a while until they could return home later, which we know historically that they did. Paul or, or the church there already commissioned a church in Aquila and Priscilla's home because this is what Paul references later in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He says, the church of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. You know, I, I want to see what, what happens and how this couple was used as, as Paul once again returns to his home church to report and to be refreshed there in, in, in Jerusalem and then in Antioch. Look, look what they did. So in, in verse 23, back in, in our text, it says, And having spent some time there, he left and passed successfully through the Galatian region and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, by uh, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus and he was mighty in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, which again, you, you've already known if you've been in the study, is a great risk to his own life. The fact that he's preaching Jesus Christ in the synagogue to the Jews, this is why Paul's been in prison, why he's been beaten, why they, they've tried to kill him, all these things. But here is Apollos, and he is preaching Jesus Christ boldly in the synagogue. He's got eloquence, he's got knowledge, but he's, he, he's, he's preaching Jesus only being familiar with, only being acquainted with the baptism of John, not the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not what happens at the moment that we say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in, does a washing and regeneration. We become brand new people in Jesus Christ. He wasn't necessarily familiar with that, so he begins to speak out boldly in the synagogue, and look what happens, verse 26. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside, and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. 
I'm sure they, they, again, just as I said, they explained what happened on the day of Pentecost. They explained what the, the work of the Holy Spirit is. They explained what Jesus was preaching when he says that John baptized, you know, um, or that when John said, I'll baptize you uh, with, with water. But when he comes later, he's going to baptize with, with, with fire. Again, they began to explain to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, back to Greece, the brethren encouraged him. And wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who believed through grace. This guy, get the, get the picture again, right? So here, here uh, Aquila and Priscilla stay in Ephesus. They, they're this faithful friend. They are fellow laborers. They're like, our lives are for the gospel. You know, we, we've already been kicked out of our home once. We're leaving Corinth. We're going to Ephesus. Paul, the leader, is asking us to stay. We're going to do whatever we need to do for the kingdom of God. We're going to be a part of this mission. Here they are laboring, and Apollos is in the synagogue there. And man, this, this guy's on fire. He's, he's passionately preaching. He's boldly preaching. He's got eloquent, eloquence. He's got knowledge. He's doing all these things. And Priscilla and Quilla hear him, and they say, you know what? Let's get this young man. Let's, let's, let's make sure he fully understands the gospel. Let's make sure he understands so that, man, we can just fan that flame that's going on. That's such a vital thing because what, what could they have done? What, what could Aquila and Priscilla have done when they saw the passion and the boldness and, and how he held captive the audience there in the synagogue? What could they have done? Well, huh, this young buck, he just doesn't know. Poor little Apollos. He'll learn eventually. He'll go through his hard knocks. They could have been prideful. They could have got jealous. They could have said, well, we've been doing this longer than he has. We've been Christian a lot longer than he has. And we, we know the way of God better than he does. They could have got jealous. And they could have got you know, bitter. And they could have looked at him in a, in, in a negative way. But you know what they saw? Because I believe they were dominated by love. And I believe that they were, they were emboldened by the Holy Spirit and, and, and the gospel work. And they were faithful friends and they were fellow laborers. You know what they saw when, when, when Apollos was doing this? Oh, man. God's going to use this young man in an awesome way. We can't wait to see how God's going to use this guy. Man, the only thing about this is he, he, he's, he's, not, he's not connecting, you know, the Holy Spirit, what, what was prophesied about how, how, how God's going to work like this. Let's, let's get him privately. Let's take him aside and let's, let's, let's disciple him a little bit. Let's, let's fan the flame. Let's, let's encourage this young man to just go out and, and, and preach the gospel even more boldly and even more effectively. He greatly helped those who had believed through grace. Verse 28, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public. This guy was not ashamed. This guy was not, not afraid. He was bold. He just needed a little bit of encouragement. He needed a little bit of fanning. He needed a little bit of water. He needed a little bit of, uh, 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 of investing. Demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. He was the Messiah. Point number two is this. We learn from, from this couple. We learn from these people. Be fruitful and full of gratitude where you are planted. Brother Tony this morning was sharing in our, our worship team um, devotion before we, we, we rehearsed and um, he was talking about gratitude and I said yeah, it's, it's so amazing that you share that in this devotion because wait till we get to the message and um, but it's such an important point here where God places you 
where the leader or the leaders ask you to serve, be faithful and be fruitful and be full of gratitude. Yeah, and this couple saw zeal. And then they saw this zeal connected or intertwined with this, this eloquence and this education that he had. He saw, they saw this, this power and this influence that this young man had. They heard him speak, and they, they just simply saw, man, this, this guy needs just a little bit of help. That's it. So they took him aside, as I said. I want you to notice that, too. They, they didn't do it publicly. They didn't make a spectacle of what they were doing. They, they, they took him aside privately, and they explained the full gospel to him. He was preaching from the perspective of the baptism of John, which pointed to Jesus Christ. And as he preached, probably about the Messiah, he was obviously lacking something, obviously missing that little piece. So these faithful friends, fellow laborers, sowed into this passionate man. And their investment led to a well of fruit for the kingdom of God. And I want you to notice again, they weren't there in Rome And Apollos wanted to go back to Greece where it was comfortable for him. I'm not saying he went because of comfort. He went back home. So he does go back home after their sowing into his life. Again, I want to make make that point known. They could have got bitter. They could have got bitter that Apollos got to go back to his home right now. Now, we know that they would eventually go back to Rome where their home is when the door opened. But they could have not been faithful. They could have not been fruitful. They could have not been full of gratitude that they were able to serve God at all where they were. They could have been the ones to be that way, and then they would have been the ones to miss out. And so are we when we aren't. It's so easy sometimes to look at what other people are doing or not doing and get bitter. Man, where has God put you? Well, number one, he's put you in this church, in this area right now. You know what the charge is? Be faithful. Be fruitful. Be full of gratitude where you are. Be the vessel wherever you're at that God can pour into and then pour through into someone else's life. That's what it's about. So many Christians get mixed up and messed up because they're not full of gratitude. They look at things and they start getting jealous and envious and, and they, they start, well, I could do a better job than, than him. I could do a better job to her. That something goes wrong, they get frustrated. When are they going to get their act together in that ministry? Won't you go get their act together? <laughs> Won't you go help them get it together? Won't you go be like an Aquila and Priscilla and encourage them and fan the flames? Hey, man, what do you guys need? Hey, what could, what, what could we do to make, make it better in this ministry? No, we don't want to do that. We want to gripe and complain, right? They could have, they could have done that. Aquila and Priscilla, as, as maybe more uh, educated, more mature Christians, they could have sat back and they could have griped and complained about how this young person was given this opportunity in the middle of the synagogue to be preaching when he didn't even know what he's saying all the time. He didn't know the fullness of what he was saying all the time. They didn't, though. They didn't embarrass him. They didn't do any of those things. They simply took him aside and explained more fully. They invested in him. They fanned that flame, and we saw the result. Again, we should be the ones who are faithful and fruitful and full of gratitude. And I don't, I don't want you to miss that, that full of gratitude. 
Ephesians chapter 5 verse 20 says this, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Colossians chapter 2, a lot of scriptures here. Verse 6, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with what? Gratitude. Colossians chapter 3, a very familiar section of scripture, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. Look at these next words. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, uh, richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts. Whatever you do in word or do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Look how many times just in those three verses that it says, have thankfulness, Give thanks, be thankful. Three verses, three times. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it. Stay awake, be constantly in prayer with an attitude of thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I've said this before. Christians should be the, 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 the most grateful people on all of the earth. I don't care where we are. We talked about it Friday night. We talked about reason to praise, and it was, it was, a, it was a theme that came up in, in, in the things that Brother Tony was sharing. And, and I came up and, and shared some scriptures and, and, and kind of expounded on that. Uh, that's, the truth is this. God wouldn't have to do anything else. God doesn't have to do anything for us. We talked about this in our, our devotion last night, too, as we were uh, you know, getting ready for bed. And um, the same thing. God doesn't have to do anything for us. We deserve sin. We deserve hell. Every single one of us. But in his mercy and his grace, he, he saved us. And, and he doesn't have to do anything else on top of saving us. And we should live our lives with the greatest amount of gratitude more than anybody else on all the earth because of that. He saved us. Every single moment of every single day of our lives should be full of gratitude because of that. And, and you know, you know why, where we lose perspective? We get our eyes on this world. We get our eyes on our circumstances. We get our eyes on stuff. Man, I, I promise you this. One glimpse of hell. If God, could, if God would just pull back and, and give us one peek into hell, I think it would change how grateful we are for our salvation. We a lot of times only, only attribute the thanksgiving we have for our salvation to the fact that we're going to be out of the trials and the junk of this life one day. Right? Well, I can't wait to go to heaven. I won't have to deal with this anymore. Now, I, I, I'm so thankful I'm going to heaven because I will never have to go to hell. Man, it's easy in a world of division, in a world that stirs up pessimism and negativity, Right? You don't have to look very long. You don't have to read very long. You don't have to listen very long to start feeling pessimistic about stuff. To start having negative and, 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 and off feelings. Right? You can start thinking that way real quick. I mean, just read some posts. Just listen to the news a little bit. Just, you can start getting that way real quick. It's real easy in a world that's like that to live and miss the blessing of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. It's real easy 
to miss the blessing of serving with others with this attitude of gratitude. I always try to remember this in serving the Lord and just living life. Uh, this is honestly what, what I try to remember. Who am I? That's why when there's a, uh, Casting Crowns came along and sang a song, that's the title of the song, Who Am I? That the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? You know, that again, I'm not worthy of anything but death, but God, again, saved me because of his mercy. Not only did he save me, but he called me to serve him with you, the body, and specifically the body here. And, and we're called to do that with gratitude, not with grumbling. What many people miss is this. Our negativity that creeps in. Look, if you're sitting here this morning and you got negativity towards this church, towards any leader in this church, towards the mission of the church, towards any Christian, towards if you've got negativity, if you've got pessimism, if you've got criticism, you're being stifled in your fruitfulness for the kingdom of God. You're being stifled. See, this, this, this couple, Aquila and Priscilla, they could have been there. They could have been pessimistic. They could have been, eh, we'll see if this guy lasts. No. <laughs> they saw the opportunity to invest in the kingdom of God, and they were with grateful hearts out of their home, being faithful friends and fellow laborers. They fanned the flames of this young man, and he became just a great warrior for the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I'm going I'm to read it. We've got a little bit of time, we're going to be done. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we've renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are dying, who are perishing and going to hell. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might, might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earth and vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. We're persecuted, but we know we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Every day, all the time, that's what always means always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also might be manifest in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. Again, he said we're always being put in front of a council. We're always being stoned. We're always being kicked out of a city. We're always being beaten. We're, all, we're always being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. But what ends up happening is the life of Jesus is manifested in our mortal flesh. So here's how it works. Death works in us but it produces life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. That's what we're doing. We believe. We also believe. Therefore we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, church, 
so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause, listen to this, the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. That's what it's about. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outward man is decaying, literally, I mean, look at the stripes on my back. Look at the bumps and the bruises and, and, and the lumps from the broken bones, I think Paul could say. Even though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. It's not about our circumstances or what we're going through. It's the fact that Christ is being exalted in our life as we're living for him. And then he says this, as we understand our momentary light affliction is actually producing an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So as we're being faithful to the Lord and sowing and, and serving and, and, and living lives of, of gratitude so that other people are benefited from it, as we're trying to be fruitful and other people are, 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 are the, the beneficiaries of our, our death, our suffering, we understand that it's just momentary. And, and as we compare our affliction to Christ, it's, it's light. And as we compare it even greater to what we're going to experience one day in glory, it doesn't, hold, doesn't, doesn't have, have any comparison there. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let me ask you this this morning. Do you serve God now? And are you fruitful? Let me ask you this. Do you do that or are you critical? Are you critical of things and, and people in the church? Would you consider yourself or maybe other people consider you a negative Nancy? If you're a guy, I'm not calling you a Nancy. It's just a phrase. This couple, Aquila and Priscilla, they served faithfully. They served alongside their friend Paul, for their friend Paul, and of course it was for the Lord. But they served with fruitfulness and gratefulness. And we see this man, Apollos, just thrive. So Apollos goes there. He goes back to Greece, specifically Corinth, and has a great ministry in Corinth, so great that apparently it caused factions and divisions within the Corinthian church. But this was the culture that the Corinthians had. There was a very ungodly culture, and you could do a study on the city of Corinth back at this time. It was super ungodly, really, really, really bad. Uh, matter of fact, there was a, there was a, a phrase of, of the day uh, to uh, Corinthianize some, somebody, uh, which is <laughs> bad, <laughs> really bad. But this, this city, unable to fully break from the culture that it came from, this church was uh, prone to some of these things, which ends up happening. And it shows the carnality and the immaturity that they had there. And so Apollos ministers to the church there. Is, it has a great impact in, in the kingdom there. And so he gains some, some people who are looking to him as their leader. And what ends up forming is a clique that had little to do with the rest of the church. There was obviously another group inside the church who had tendencies like that that was still loyal to Paul. There was some that was even loyal to, to Peter. And then, of course, there was a group that was simply loyal to Christ alone. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, church, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete 
by having the same mind and having the same judgment. Be on the same page, church. You've been informed, I've been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. There's people that are bickering, arguing, and fighting inside the church. Now, this means that each one of you has a problem because some of you are saying, I'm of Paul, and I have Paulus, I have Cephas, I have Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Chapter 3 says this, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as men of flesh, as to like babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, because you're not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you. Remember what Aquila and Priscilla did not have? He says, since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I'm of Paul, and another says, well, I'm of Apollos, you're showing that you're simply fleshly men. What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believe, that's it, vessels. Even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one, it's how, it's how it works. I planted, Apollos came back and along, he watered, but it's God that was causing the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. He's the one. <laughs> now he who plants and he who waters actually one, same mission. And each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. We're God's fellow workers. You're God's field. You're God's building. These past two years in our world have wrecked havoc in ways that people have seen and in ways that seem to be less conspicuous. And I'm talking specifically in the church. The last two years in the church, not just Trinity Baptist Temple, but it includes Trinity Baptist Temple, has wrecked havoc. And some are noticeable. You notice that some people aren't here. You know that some people are sporadic. You know, some people's faithfulness and their engagement and their service has, has changed. But it's changed in less conspicuous ways. It's changed relationships. The church in some ways with, with some people was strengthened and has been strengthened, more unified. There are some members now, two years after what we've gone through, are more engaged, are more faithful, are more thankful to have a, a church to be serving in. There, there are people two years after what we've gone through that, that are just more passionate servants of, of the Most High God. And in other ways, with some people, again, we're weakened and more divided. And I hope that you're not sitting here this morning or watching online, and you are one of those. Allowing emotions personal feelings, and please hear this, and personal opinions, criticism, and pessimism over worldly topics to dominate the fellowship that we have in Christ alone. Shame on us if that's the case. And if you've been skewed or altered or affected in a negative way over what's gone on in the last couple of years in our world because of something worldly, then we fit right in with what Paul was trying to correct the Corinthian church for. What are y'all doing? That's what he was saying. He was saying to that Corinthian church, what are y'all doing? It's not about Paul. It's not about Apollos. It's not about you. It's about him. And he's made us all one in him. If you feel more united, you know what happened to you. 
But if you're here and you feel more divided, you know just the same what happened to you. The letter to the Corinthians was written probably from Ephesus when Paul was there, and uh, he's going to be there shortly when we're going to see. But it's obvious that by the time that he gets there, the word that was what was going on in the issues, the issues that were going on in the Corinthian church, that it was needful for him to write to them when he says that. If there were things that were playing against the church then, then we have to know today, 2,000 years later, they're still going to face the attack. Maybe more swift and maybe in a more subtle way than, than it was then because the prevalence of technology in our world. It's therefore essential for us to be a faithful friend and a fellow laborer. And it's essential for us to be fruitful and full of gratitude where we are. I'm going to ask you this morning, what are you doing in your local church? Are you a faithful friend to those in your church family? Are you a faithful friend to the leader and to the other leaders who are leading that God has installed? Are you a faithful fellow laborer doing what you can do and what you've been gifted to do? Are you fruitful where you've been planted? Let me ask you this. Are you a member who is full of gratitude, serving God from that place of gratitude, and not, in allow, not allowing the normal things that every church faces to jade you? To turn your optimism and your excitement into pessimism and disgruntlement. It's easy to do. How's it happen? Just simply judge others by a different standard than you judge yourself. And you'll get sideways in the church real quick. Are you inspecting others, other people's garden while your garden is barren? Let's take the example that we have with this couple of Quilla and Priscilla and apply it in our lives. I want to challenge you this morning. Be an encouragement to your church family. Be an inspiration to your church family. Be a help and a friend to the leaders. Be an investor in those who need investing. Young people, young adults, new Christians. Invest in them. Fan the flames. Don't sit idly by. Do something. Be fruitful. Be a positive, grateful servant of the Most High God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for what you've done in our lives. Thank you for the examples that you've preserved for us for thousands of years in your word, your eternal word. Examples like this couple, Aquila and Priscilla. We don't have like this vast detail of their life and, and, and the kind of characters that they, had, they were and, and, and all the different things that they did, but we, we get a little bit of a snapshot here and a snapshot there, and the snapshot that we get that you, in your word, has preserved is that of faithful friends, faithful fellow laborers. We get a snapshot, we get this, this picture that, that they, they were a great example of being fruitful and being full of gratitude. And Lord, I pray it would just be an example and encouragement to us that we apply to our lives. And I pray if there's somebody here that has felt more divided or maybe has grown more bitter or somebody who's relationships have changed over the last two years because of opinions and worldly things that have gone on. God, that that would change today, that they would lay that down at your feet. They would understand that just as Paul exhorted the church, that we are to be of the same mind, to be of the same judgment, to, go, to be going the same direction because we have you inside of all of us if we're your people. 
Lord, help us to go in the direction that you've called us to go together with joy and with encouragement. Lord, help us to be those vessels that are honoring to you. Lord, help us respond rightly now as, as, as we respond to your word. And I do pray if there is somebody here that maybe feels disconnected, they, they feel like they're outside of, of the fellowship, they're not positive that heaven's going to be their eternal home, God, that they would move now in this invitation as well. They'd come down to this altar and they'd ask somebody, what do I have to do to get saved? I want to go to heaven. I definitely don't want to go to hell. I pray you move that way as well, God. We'll praise you for it and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as he sings.